You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. My name is Brian, and my wife and I, it's our privilege to lead River City Church, and uh, that we started in 2020, in August of 2020, and since then, we've seen, uh, we, we've had the privilege of just going to see so many people impacted by but the reality of what we're celebrating today, the resurrection life of Jesus. Today is not just about another holiday. It's, of course, a day for Christians all over the world to gather to declare the truth of what Jesus has done in their life. And we celebrate not just a moment in history, but a moment that changed our history, a moment that changed the history of the world because Jesus came to earth, from heaven to earth, to pay the price for our sins, to die on the cross, to take the price. But also, as my wife just read from Matthew 28, he came to conquer sin, conquer death, conquer hell and the grave. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus overcame what had overcome you and I. And he offers us eternal life, a hope and a future. No matter what we're facing, we have a God that knows what we're walking through, but also brings us out. He brings us into freedom, into salvation, and into victory. Today, I want to talk to you about before and after, before the empty tomb and after the empty, empty tomb, before and after. And we're going to actually start a chapter before what my wife read in Matthew 27, and we're going to put it on the screen, uh, most of these verses. I'm just going to read it first, and then we're going to talk about it. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 11, it says that Jesus stood before the governor, the Roman governor, Pilate. He stands there arrested, stands there accused. And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? But the chief priests, the elders, these are the religious leaders of that day. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes, the crowds, that they should ask for Barabbas instead and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And then they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all shouted, they all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, what evil has he done? They cried out all the more, let him be crucified. Verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns together, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed their knee before him and mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took off the robe that was upon him and put his own clothes back on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. And they said, you you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. 
Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved himself. Uh, he saved others, but he himself he cannot save. If he is king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him now deliver him if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, verse 50, and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks were split, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those who were with him regarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things which had happened, they feared greatly and said, truly, this was the Son of God. After this, he'd be taken down and taken to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and he'd be buried in that tomb, and a great stone was rolled over to cover that tomb. The, the garrison of soldiers was placed to guard the body of Jesus in case the disciples would come and try to steal him away. Because religion, who had rejected him, religion had rejected Jesus, and yet religion also feared what would come after. See, before the empty tomb and before the resurrection of Jesus, there was a cross. Before the empty tomb, Jesus came and he was stood before the, 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 the government, before Pontius Pilate, and he answered to Pontius Pilate, who asked, what do they say about you? Is it true? Are you the king of the Jews? And he said, it is as you say. But when the enemies, when the religious crowd accused him, he didn't answer a word. And, and Pilate marveled. Here's why he marveled, because he's used to criminals being brought before him. And they proclaimed their own innocence, but Jesus didn't answer a word because Jesus did not come to defend himself, but to lay his life down. Jesus came not to conquer, but to lay down his life. Not to march in triumph at the head of armies, but to come as a conquering king through the conquering grace of God, through the love of Jesus, through his great uh, sacrifice on the cross, that his love would conquer our hearts, that his love and his sacrifice would defeat the greatest enemy, not the enemy of armies, not the enemy of, of people that were in that land that occupied the land of Judea, but instead the enemy of sin that has been the greatest problem that, human, that humanity has faced from the beginning of time that we have dealt with the problem of sin, our brokenness and our fall, where we ran from God, where we chose another way, where Jesus stood before us and like the crowd that said, we don't want Jesus, we want the, we want the criminal release, we want Barabbas. Many times we're just like that, we've chosen our own way because we don't recognize what Jesus has done for us. The price that he paid was not just to start, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus didn't come to start an organization called the church. Jesus came to offer his life for many. He came to offer his life for you and for me. He didn't come for the perfect, he came for the sinner. He didn't come for the whole, he came for the broken. He didn't come for the found, he came for the lost. Jesus was there. And we see the story, he was taken as Barabbas, the criminal was released. The crowd chose Barabbas over Jesus. Jesus then was taken and beaten. The centurion was a Roman soldier, a leader of that garrison, and his men gathered around Jesus, beat him, abused him, placed a crown of thorns upon his head and put a, a rod, a reed in his hand to mock him as a king. 
And then they led him away to be crucified and placed him beside two thieves, nailing him to the tree. The crucifixion, crucifixion was the, the, the harshest and the most severe means of, of the death penalty the Romans had available. And Jesus did that, but there was something different that you see at that end of that story. When Jesus died, there was a different response. When Jesus died, the ones who had, who had nailed him to the tree, the ones who had pierced his side, the ones who had mocked him and reviled him, starting with the centurion, then began to say, truly this was the son of God. Do you know that Jesus is different? Did you know that Jesus is not like any other figure in human history? He's not like just any person. In 2018, there was a man who purchased, uh, or, or in 2018, a man came before a Michigan professor bringing a rock that he had found, and it had occupied a place in a barn from a property he bought back in 1988. And from all that time, for over 20 years, this rock, weighing 22 pounds, sat as a doorstop in his barn. He didn't know what it was. He knew it was a little bit large for a rock, but he didn't know it was something very special. And when he brought it to the professor that day, in 2018, this Michigan professor was a, a specialist in meteorites. And people all the time would be bringing rocks to this professor and they would come and they'd bring whatever they found that they thought was special and they would bring it and she'd have to weed through all the, wade through all the fakes and all the, all the just regular rocks. But on that day, she says, I noticed something different about this one. There was something different about it. We'll come to find out what this man had as a doorstop for over 20 years in his barn was in fact a meteorite and was now valued at over $100,000. Some of y'all are gonna go look for some rocks today. Like I had no idea that doorstop was worth so much. And this man discovered that day what he had overlooked and even neglected for 20 years. He misjudged its value because he didn't know where it came from. See, what defines the value of that meteorite is where it came from and what it was made of. What makes Jesus different from every other person and every other great figure in all of human history. See, there were great generals and great kings. There's been great leaders and great, great prophets and great teachers, but Jesus is unlike any one of them. Jesus actually, it's interesting, Jesus wrote, the, the, we know the Bible is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, but Jesus personally didn't pen any, any books. He, he didn't conquer any armies. He didn't rule from any earthly thrones. He didn't do any of the things. He didn't win any awards or any of the things that people would consider to be having earthly success. But what Jesus did in the time that he came turned the world upside down. And what he did was actually more significant because Jesus is different than any of those. What he's made of is different than any of those. Jesus came from a different place. He came from heaven. He came from above. But he came from above and he came for you and for me because Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. Jesus knows what we walk through, what we go through, what we experience. And as a man, fully God and yet also fully man, he came to pay the price for our sins. See, most people don't have issues with the things that Jesus taught. Jesus talked about the love of God. He talked about loving God and loving people. He talked about the importance of serving others, how greatness is serving. I don't think anybody would disagree that's important. 
Jesus taught about loving our enemies, sometimes hard to do, but Jesus taught us to forgive when we've been hurt. Jesus taught a lot of important and great things, but if that was all that Jesus did, he might've started a great philosophy or even a religion, but Jesus did something even greater. We see that Jesus died on the cross. And sometimes even if you've grown up in church, you've been around religion, you've seen crosses, you've seen them as symbols of religious activity or places of worship, but a cross defines the greatest act of love that human history has ever seen. Jesus offered his life for you and for me. He paid the price for our sins because here's what's different. In fact, what I believe distinguishes the good news of Jesus from every religion in the entire world. Every religion is man's attempt to get better, man's attempt to earn his way to heaven or earn his way to God or find relief from pain and suffering. And yet Jesus came from heaven to earth, not to make bad men better, but to make dead men live, to rescue us from our sins, the things that we could not save ourselves from. Jesus came and died on the cross and he did it, not just, I believe he did it for the whole world, but you know what I love? He did it for you and for me personally. And as we see the before story, before the empty tomb, Jesus paid the price for our sins. He cries out, why have you forsaken me, Father? Because God, 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 God's, if we can even try to grasp what takes place in this moment, the father turns his back on the son because the very thing that had created separation between us and God was our sin. And Jesus bore that sin on the cross. He became separated so that you and I would never, ever have to be separated again. And the centurion at the end of that, after he dies, says this truly was the son of God. Three days later, what we're celebrating today takes place in Matthew 28. And in that story, two women come to that tomb, that tomb that's been securely shut up, that's been guarded by this garrison and by these troops and by this army. An angel shows up and the stone is rolled away and an angel sits atop it and the troops that are there guarding this place begin to tremble and fall down before this angel that's there because the angel came and, 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 and came to deliver a message. In fact, the word angel literally means a messenger. What the angel did was not as important as what he came to say. And the women came and they see the tomb and they, they're confused about what's taking place. And there's a few reasons why. I wanna give you four simple points today. As we look at the rest of the story in Matthew 28, the very first thing the women perceive is that they've been told he's dead. In fact, they've been eyewitnesses to the death of Jesus. They've seen that Jesus was crucified. He was brought down, his body lifeless was taken down from the cross and placed in that tomb. And they actually were there not expecting him to be alive. In fact, why they were there was to, 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 to visit his body. And Jesus is buried in the tomb in, the, in their estimation and, and the world lives every day as if the truth of Easter isn't true. That that tomb is still closed and that body still lies there. But you know, Jesus is the only one of any faith, the only founder of any faith that doesn't have a grave today. And the angel declares atop that stone, you know, the tomb was rolled away or the stone was rolled away from the tomb, not so that Jesus could be let out. Can I just tell you? Jesus had no problem getting out of the tomb, but so that everyone around could see what was inside, that the tomb was empty 
And Jesus did exactly what he said. He is not here. He is risen. Those words are some of the most important words ever uttered on planet earth. He's not here. Why is that important? It's not so that we can just celebrate Easter on Sunday once a year. It's actually so that we can experience the reality of that for our own lives. That Jesus died for our sins and he was raised to life, conquering the very thing that had always conquered us. They came to that tomb and they're perplexed, they're concerned, they're worried because they've been told and they've believed now that Jesus, in fact, they thought Jesus was dead. And just like the, the man who misjudged the, the value and the worth of that meteorite, misjudged that thing, didn't recognize it was different. Many people every day misjudge the fact and don't recognize the fact that Jesus is not, not, not in a grave. He's not buried. He's not a philosophy. He's not an idea. He's not just a good teacher. He is, in fact, the risen Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, who conquered what conquered us so that we could be free, truly free for ourselves. The next thing that happens, number two, is that they heard Jesus is alive. They come to the empty tomb and they hear from this angel, Jesus is alive. And, and I don't think, you know, after 2,000 years of celebrating Easter, we can fully recognize the magnitude of what they're hearing in that moment because all of their hopes and expectations were wrapped up in what was buried in the tomb. But now what they find out is that where they were hopeless, now there's hope. Where they, where they had no peace for that moment, there was now the possibility of peace. Where they were broken before, grieving before, heartbroken over what took place before. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're doubting. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel hopeless and you don't know what to do. These women find themselves in that very same place, but what those women heard that day is the very same answer for our need today, that because he lives, everything can change. Because he lives, there's freedom. Because he lives, my family can be made whole. Because he lives, addiction can be broken over my life. Because he lives, I don't have to be afraid anymore. He's not here. He's risen. They heard Jesus is alive. If you've ever said, my hope is lost, my life is over, things will never change, I've got good news for you today. There's an empty tomb. <laughs> There's an empty tomb. He is not here. He is risen. So then here's what they're told in verse, verse 7 right after that. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring his disciples' word. They came to carry this message. They came to let the others know and along the way, watch what happens in verse 9. Along the way, they go from having heard about the, the fact that Jesus is alive to experiencing the fact that he's alive. They've gone from just hearing about Jesus to meeting Jesus personally. That's point three. For those that are taking notes, Jesus, they met him personally. These two women that are coming from the tomb, coming in bewilderment, like they, they, they're just, they're excited and they're trembling. They don't know what to do but they're just doing what the angel said. Like if an angel shows up, you just do what it tells you to do. And so they're running to find the disciples and along the way, watch what happens. Verse nine, it says, they went to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them. 
Millions of people around the world have heard about Jesus. In fact, I'd venture to say that billions have heard about Jesus. But God didn't just send Jesus so that you could hear about him, sing about him, hear a sermon about him, but so that you could for yourself experience his resurrection life in your life. So that you could experience the, you could receive for yourself what it means to be forgiven. People spend their whole lives, even in church, wondering, I hope I'm forgiven. I hope one day I'll get to heaven. And we evaluate whether or not we'll have heaven one day based on, well, I'm better than that person. Don't point any fingers right now. I'm better than that person. I'm better than this person. But here's the reality. All of us have sinned, the Bible says. All of us need a savior. Those who've been in church their whole life or those who've never been to church at all in their life, we all need a savior. We all need Jesus. We all need hope. And the way we experience hope is through personally encountering Jesus ourselves. It's not enough for our friends and our neighbors and our our parents and our grandparents to have a relationship with Jesus. God sent him for you and I to have a relationship with him ourselves. Jesus met them and he says, rejoice. If you don't know this, Jesus is in a good mood. Sometimes we got such a weird picture of Jesus that he's angry and he's out to get us and, and I can't show up. I, I, I can't draw near to God because if I do, you know, the lightning bolt's gonna strike me and we don't realize that Jesus paid the price for all of our failures. On my best day, it's not enough. So the only basis for me approaching God is not my own good works. It's the fact that Jesus died for my sins. His grace is enough. His goodness is enough. And we can come boldly to God because of Jesus. He says, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Can I just tell you that while I love to celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago, What made this real for me is when Jesus changed my life. And all over this room, there's hundreds of stories of lives that have been transformed by the goodness of God, by the resurrection of Jesus, by the truth of what I'm reading and sharing and telling you about today. As we recognize what's been there all along, this man who found the meteorite in his barn found what had already been there. And you may not realize that the love of Christ is available right there all along for every single one of us who needs him. He's not far from any of you. He's not far from any of us. Jesus made the difference in me. And Jesus will and wants to make the difference in you. When I look at the story of Matthew 27 and 28, do you know what I think? I think I'm Barabbas. I'm the one that he died in place of. He took my place when I deserved the price of my sins. Jesus took that for me and he took it for you. And the people chose Barabbas as a rejection of Jesus. But I wanna just tell you that God chose Jesus to be your substitute and mine, to pay the price for our sins, to take our place so that we could be free and forgiven. When I look at the thieves on the crosses next to Jesus, I can, I can relate to them because I was that thief. I was that one who had pushed him away, who mocked him, who misunderstood him. But what I love in the story, and we didn't read it here today, but one of the other gospel accounts, one of the other stories of Jesus says that one of those two thieves had a change of heart. He recognized this Jesus that that they were mocking and reviling and rejecting. He recognized, no, there's something different 
about this Jesus. And he pled to him for mercy. He said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And the Lord's response to him is so beautiful. He says, today, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Put your trust in me this very day. Do you know the first man into heaven was the thief? Was not one of the religious crowd. It was a thief. It was a man who was in no way able to save himself, but God's love reached him. I was that thief. I was the centurion. The centurion and those soldiers drove the nails in his hands and feet. They were active participants and actively involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. But when I recognize that I'm like that centurion, it's because my sins put Jesus on that cross. It was for my sins that he died. They place a crown on his head to crown him as a king, to mock him, but he truly is my king. And when he changed my life, I recognized that Jesus was different than anybody else. Jesus could save Jesus could set me free. Jesus could give me a future and a hope. And just like the centurion at the end, he says, this is the son of God. It's when we recognize Jesus is who he says he is and we recognize and put our faith in him personally. We say like this, we we surrender our life to Jesus. And some of us, the idea of surrender sounds terrifying. The idea of surrender sounds like defeat, but surrender is actually the only way to freedom. Surrender to God doesn't bring defeat. It actually is the only way to true life and victory. And when we surrender our life to Jesus, we say like the centurion, I recognize you're worth it. I recognize you're more than what I've thought. You're more than what I've been told. You're more than what others have said. You're more than what the world's defined you as. You are the son of God. And just like the women met him on the road, you and I can encounter Jesus for ourselves personally. I love that Jesus tells them. He says, go and tell my brethren. And if you don't know the story of the disciples, all but one of them, when Jesus was arrested and betrayed and taken to the cross, all but one, John, all of the rest fled. They were embarrassed. They were were ashamed. They were afraid. They didn't want to be identified with Jesus. And so they all took off. You ever have friends like that? Like they say they'll be there, but then they're not there when you need them. And, and, and Jesus looks around and all the disciples, all the ones that followed him when it was fun and you could take a selfie, I'm with Jesus. But they're all gone except for a handful. But you know what I love about the goodness of God? Jesus tells these women, he says, go and tell my brethren. Those that fled, those that ran, those that turned their, go and, go and get them. He didn't say, go and tell those guys that took off, that left me, I'm out to get them. They're about to get what they have coming. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rub it in their faces that they let, no, no. He says, go and get my brethren. Tell them I'm alive. Let them know I'm coming to meet them. And church, there's a place for you. For the one that's far from God, there's a place for you. For everyone in here, there's a place for you. Because he calls all of us, what is brethren? We don't use that word very often, my, my brethren. <laughs> but you know what it means? It means we're, we're, we're called to be family. That Jesus died on the cross. We were orphaned by our sin, but Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm coming to make them family. And when you surrender your life to God, 
no one ever gets to heaven because they were good or because they earned their way there. No, but, but, but Jesus makes a way for us to be family to be forgiven, to be free, for a way to be made to God and for us to have a relationship with God and for us now to be seated at his table, your family. Jesus called their brethren. You know what that means? He never forgets you. He never forsakes you. He pursues you even now and calls us to be a part of his family. The empty tomb tells me that there's hope. The empty tomb tells me that there's a future, that there's a promise, there's hope after hopelessness, there's, there's a future after failure, there's fulfillment after there's been emptiness, there's healing after there's been brokenness, there's even life after death. There's hope because of Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to prepare to come back. And in just a moment, we're going to take communion together, but before we do, I wanna give you an opportunity to experience and receive Jesus into your life personally as well. The fourth and final thing that these women experienced is they were told in this message by Jesus himself, he says to them, go and tell, and then they're gonna see me. Go and tell, and I wanna remind every believer, every Christian in this room, every person who's already experienced the forgiveness of Jesus in their life, that we have a responsibility and a calling to go and tell to. To go and share the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. To go and tell somebody about what he's done for us. In fact, that's why we're doing this today. If you don't know why we're putting this on and why we're at the event center and we're having egg dashes and all that fun stuff, you know, why we're doing it is because we want to go and tell the difference that Jesus can make for you and celebrate the difference that he's made in all of us. The Bible says that Jesus paid the price while the wages of our sin was death, the free gift of God would be eternal life through Jesus. And when we surrender our life to him, when we give him our future, we give him our heart, we give him our life, there's something amazing that happens. We receive so much more than we give. We receive forgiveness for all our sin. We receive freedom, hope, and a promise. A home in heaven forever. And being made a part of the family of God that we'd never be alone. We'd never be forsaken. I'm gonna ask you to do this if you would. If you would stand to your feet with us today. So I'm really like, thank you. Those metal chairs were super comfortable. I'm going to stand to your feet if you would, please, if you're able. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Because I want to give you an opportunity today, right here and now, to respond to Jesus for yourself. I want to ask you a question. Have you misjudged or misvalued, misplaced God in your life? Have you thought, I can do this without him? I, I, I was there. Have you thought, I, I'll be good enough, I'll try harder, I'll, I'll be better than that other person? 
Maybe you've thought I'll never be enough. Things will never change. Can I just tell you today, there's, there's freedom for every one of us. There's hope for every one of us because of Jesus. And if you're in here, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to surrender your life to God because that's what makes the difference for you to encounter Jesus for yourself, to receive him and come to him like those women on the road for yourself. This can be the most important Easter of your entire life. Not because of anything that happens in a church service, but because of something that happens in your heart with God himself. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart we believe and with the mouth we confess. Jesus is Lord of our life. What does that mean? It means we say, God, I need you. Be Lord of my life. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity in just a second to pray with me. And I believe today is gonna mark your future and your hope forever. As you give your life to Jesus, can I just tell you the biggest mistake in my life was trying to run my own life, trying to do it my way. But then I found Jesus. He's so amazing. And he's never pushed me away and he'll never push you away. In fact, he's here drawing you by the Holy Spirit. He's leading you. He's calling you to himself to belong, to be a part of his family, to be a part of his future and promise. God has an amazing plan for your life, but it starts with surrender to Jesus. It starts with a relationship with God. Jesus did not come for religion. He did not come for church membership. I love church, I'm a church guy. But Jesus came so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be free, so that we could experience eternal life and the difference that the resurrection makes. You can be free today. You can have hope today. If you're in here and you say, Brian, I don't have a relationship with God, but I want to. I want what you're talking about. I want forgiveness. I want freedom. I want a future and a hope. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. It's not complicated. Surrender isn't complicated. It's just giving Jesus our unconditional yes to say, God, I need you. I need your help. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. And I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. But before we do that, if that's you, and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, with no one looking around, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you say, that's me, Brian. I need Jesus in my life. Would you lift your hand? Keep it lifted for just a moment. If you're in here and you say, I, I've had a relationship with God, but there's been distance, and I need to rededicate my life to Jesus. I need to give my life back to God. I need to, I need to come home. If that's you, lift your hand as well. And I want to pray with you right here and now. Say this, say Jesus. In fact, everybody pray this with us. Say Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my savior. Be Lord of my life. Today, right here and now, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. And today I receive eternal life. I receive freedom. I receive hope. And I follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's praise God today for what he's doing all over the room. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.